I just like honestly don't fucking care about like any of the tribalism or zealotry in crypto. Everybody else is building with so much in mind about the community that they're building on and trying to align themselves with that and potentially making trade-offs that are suboptimal from a product perspective. Like we have to build great products here. And if we don't have that, we don't have product market fit. We don't have anything in DeFi, like literally nothing. This episode is brought to you by Gito. Gito is the easiest way to start earning MEV rewards on Solana through liquid staking. Get your soul, stake it with Gito, and get instant access to liquidity through their liquid staking token, Gito Soul. Get started today at Gito.network slash staking. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, we're joined by Antonio, the founder of DYDX. Antonio, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're pumped to have you on. One reason I'm excited about having you on that represents DYDX is that you might be one of the only protocols to find product market fit at this point. Um, <laughs> I, you know, a lot of our listeners are outside of the Ethereum community. So I think it'd be really helpful to start off with just maybe the history of DYDX because you do have a big release coming up this month. So maybe we can work back to when you started and then get to where we are today. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe I'll just start with a quick overview of what DYDX is. So we are the leader in DeFi plus derivatives. Um, derivatives have become the main way that crypto is traded. Derivatives trading volume in crypto is about 75% of the entire market. And then spot trading, which is kind of a fancy word for just normal buying and selling, is about 25% of the market. So we have over 50% market share for DeFi derivatives right now. As you mentioned, we've been around for a long time too. I like to think we're one of the OGs of DeFi. DYDX has existed for six and a bit years at this point, which is quite a long time in crypto. Um, I actually got into crypto back in 2015 before DYDX when I had my first job at Coinbase as a software engineer. So I've never not worked in crypto. <laughs> so I don't know how many people can say that, but I think it has definitely colored my opinion of the markets. And I've definitely seen a lot of ups and downs. And I think that helps me and DYDX just stay a little bit more stable throughout all of it. Just real quickly on the overview of the history and happy to dive more into anything that's of interest, but we are founded in 2017. Uh, I'm the solo founder of DYDX. I used to be a software engineer at Coinbase and briefly Uber. So for the first three or four years, I was coding a lot of the thing. Fast forward to today, we have about 50 employees. And though I stay involved on the technical side, don't do so much coding anymore. For the history of kind of the products that we've released over time, the first thing that we released was, I believe back in 2018, a margin trading protocol. So this is a way that you can borrow to get leverage or to go short on given trades. And that existed from about 2018 to 2021 or so. Since then, in about 2020, we started to focus on perpetuals contracts, which are right in the wheelhouse of derivatives trading in crypto. Perpetuals contracts are by far the main way that derivatives are traded in crypto. As I mentioned, about 75% of the crypto trading volume is derivatives. And of that, about 98 to 99% is perpetuals. So just perpetuals, this one product that we offer is the bulk of the trading that happens in the crypto market. Um, from our evolution today, we are the largest application that's based on a layer two. So we were pretty early adopters of layer two in general. A little over two years ago, we launched our current product in partnership with Starkware, who's one of the leaders in a technology called zero knowledge rollups. And that's how DYDX operates still to this day. 
Um, the main thing that we're working on right now, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about, is the upcoming release of the DYDX chain, meaning that we're building our own blockchain, um, which will exist based on the Cosmos SDK technology. It's tailor-made for derivatives trading, tailor-made for what we're doing, um, and we're very excited about it. So that's planning to release just in October. And you know, the biggest hallmark of that release is for the first time, DYDX will be fully decentralized. That's always been the plan. We've kind of taken a more progressive approach to decentralization, which, as you mentioned, I think has been really positive for us and allowed us to iterate quickly to find that product market fit that we have right now. Um, and then think about full, decentral uh, full decentralization of the protocol later, which is right now. When you say, um, thanks for the intro, by the way. When you say this will be um, like one of the biggest milestones here is that DYDX will be fully decentralized for the first time. Um, what's, uh, what's the current state of things? Like, why, why is it not fully decentralized today? Like, what does that look like for people who are not familiar? Yeah. So right now, I would say DYDX is hybrid decentralized. It is fully non-custodial. It is fully transparent with what happens on chain. But the main thing that's not decentralized right now is the order book and matching engine. So I'll define this a little bit. Most decentralized exchanges that you're probably familiar with, like a Uniswap, a Curve, those sorts of things, these are automated market makers. Um, and it's just generally much simpler to operate an automated market maker than it is to operate an order book. It also requires much more performance in terms of transactions per second, low gas fees, et cetera, to be able to offer an order book. Effectively, what an order book is, for those who aren't familiar, is just a bunch of offers to buy or sell a given asset. So you can say, oh, I'm willing to buy Bitcoin for 20000 but some guy's only willing to sell it for 21000 And then whenever the prices intersect, you have those people trade with each other. The reason that this requires such high performance is because the market makers or the kind of programmatic traders that are providing liquidity are trading with bots, not with humans. So there's thousands of orders per second that are hitting the actual system. And today, uh, no blockchain can support that. So like Starkware and all the rest of the L2s can't come close to the amount of performance that's needed for that. Um, potentially, that will change long term. We're still excited to see that happen, hopefully. But that's not the case right now. So that's why we have adopted this mode where all of these settlements, so like when you actually trade with somebody, that all happens on chain or at least through the Starkware rollup that we're using. Um, but all of these offers to buy and sell on DYDX today happen off chain, just on a normal server kind of running on AWS. You can still keep the whole non-custodial nature of the chain or of the product in general, um, but it's not completely open source. It's not completely controlled by the users, all those sort of hallmarks of DeFi that we're trying to move towards. So what are we building with DYDX chain? The main thing that we're decentralizing is what I was just talking about, the order book and the matching engine. And that's actually quite a difficult problem, um, again, because these systems require really high throughput. Um, so we started designing what we we're going to build for the DYDX chain about a year and a half ago. And then, and I would still say this is the case today, we took a look around and asked ourselves, okay, which blockchain can support on the order of a thousand plus transactions per second? ideally with very low or no gas fees. Um, and the answer we came back with was none of them. Maybe Solana gets sort of close to that. Um, but first of all, we don't have all of Solana to ourselves. And then second of all, there's still kind of gas fees and, and other considerations involved there. So the solution that we came up with 
is somewhat technical, but I think also very novel and unlocks a really great product experience. Effectively, what we built is what we're calling a decentralized but off-chain order book and matching system. So you effectively use the mempool. So, you know, like when you go and place a trade on MetaMask um, through Uniswap or something like that, you click and then it's like ending for 10 to 15 seconds or so. That means your transaction hasn't actually been mined into the blockchain yet, but it's kind of sitting in the memory of all the Ethereum nodes in Uniswap's case, waiting to be mined into the blockchain. So we took that concept and extended it and we were like, okay, well, what if we had the entire order book not have to be put on chain? Still, the validators can keep the entire state of the order book in their respective memories, um, but you don't actually have to add anything to the consensus state of the chain until a trade happens. And that's a very unique property of what we are trying to build, right? Because only about 1% of the orders that get placed on any order book based exchange get filled. So we have this unique problem of we need like 100x the scalability for placing and canceling orders, and we need just for the trades actually happening and settling. So it made this Cosmos chain that we're building a really natural fit for that, just because you can do really custom stuff if you own the entire stack. Um, and that's what we have been developing for the past year. Mm -hmm. So a few things um, I want to I clear up there. I think most Solana people won't know what a mempool is. Solana doesn't have a mempool. Uh, that's more specific to EBM chains. Just, just FYI, Solana doesn't have one for people listening. The second thing that I want to uh, potentially challenge here um, is you, so I think basically when at the time of your research and obviously you had to do a lot of research into different ecosystems before deciding to go with an app chain cosmos, um, uh, uh, approach. So one thing I would push back on is, so you said there are no chains that can support order books and specifically with low fees and, and, uh, mm -hmm. speed. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess. I would ask you, uh, like, what do you think about uh, Serum or uh, Ellipsis Labs, which is like an order book um, on, on Solana? And then there's also things like, uh, you know, Say coming out. Uh, and then I think like Sweet and Aptos also have another order book kind of flavor there as well. What do you think about those approaches? Is really the main concern for you vertical control and being able to kind of own the stack? Or are you not satisfied with the performance of those I would say it's both. Yeah, even for Serum, I mean, we talk to a lot of the institutional traders and other traders that are trading on Serum. In CLDR, they said it kind of sucked. Um, I don't know if that's the most diplomatic way to say it. I think it is a good step forward in technology, but just trying to put this order of magnitude on chain is not feasible yet. Um, and we did actually pretty seriously consider just building something similar to Serum on Solana. Um, that was probably our number two option, but ultimately decided to go with building our own chain. Some of the newer ones, like I think what uh, Say is doing, they're also building their own Cosmos chain is interesting. Um, they put more of the stuff on chain or in consensus than we will with the DYDX chain. So we'll see which of those architectures work better. I think what we're doing is quite novel. Um, and also because 99% of the stuff doesn't even have to go on chain, that's literally 100x scalability right there. So it's like whatever you can achieve on chain, at least with the Cosmos stack, we'll have that, we'll have the state of the art there, um, but then be able to multiply that by 10, 100x because things are not going on chain. So a lot of it does come down to the performance, but I would also definitely agree with us as the developers controlling the entire stack being a big plus point as well. So let me give you just an example of that. One of the things we're also building into the DYDX chain 
is our own Oracle system. Um, so we won't be reliant on any external Oracles. This is really helpful, especially as one of the biggest derivatives exchanges in DeFi, because Oracles are the only prerequisite you basically have to launching new markets. So by controlling that amount of the stack, by making an Oracle system that's custom tailor-made for leverage trading, um, we were able to do that in a decentralized way because there already exists this network of validators and nodes, and you can just have them do more types of activities on the platform. Another example of that is liquidation. So when uh, the price moves against a given trader, somebody has to come in and liquidate the position if they lose enough money. This is usually a problem in crypto and DeFi. Like, how can you do this if you don't have this decentralized network of participants that are st standing there looking at the chain ready to liquidate things? Well, guess what we do? Um, so we're also having the validators effectively run the liquidations against the order book. So they're not the ones literally trading against the positions, but they're the ones that are sitting there making sure we have a high performance liquidation system. So there's a lot of trade-offs with all these different chains. I would definitely say if I were building something different than DYDX, like if I were building an AMM, for example, I would not build my own chain or our own chain for that today. I just don't think it makes sense. It's hard with the bridging. It's hard with the development costs of building your own chain, maintaining the software, et cetera. But for us, it's just a really specific use case, right? It's like off-chain order book, 100x more scalability there. We need that. Um, one of the other really interesting things is we don't really need that many tokens to exist on our chain. There's literally only two tokens. First of all, the DYDX token will be migrated and used for governance, staking, et cetera, on the chain. But then all of the trading from a collateralization perspective happens through USDC. So you only need to have USDC on the chain, at least for the time being. And that makes us much less reliant on bridges um, than pretty much any other platform would be. Um, not to pick on them, I think they do a great job, but Osmosis, I think, is an example of this, where it's just kind of challenging for them to get enough spot assets to trade on their platform because they're really reliant on bridges, security, usability issues all over the place there. Um, with DYDX, we worked pretty closely with Circle to deploy a native version of USDC on Cosmos. So when you're trading on DYDX, there is no bridge risk. You're just literally holding native USDC, and that's very unique to kind of the platform that we're building. So it did take kind of the main negative, I would say, of building our own chain is that it did take a lot more effort, especially on the engineering side. Um, but we've been fortunate to build a great team around DYDX and have the throughput to be able to build that. And I think a pretty quick timeline, like building your own chain in just a bit over a year, I feel pretty good about. I think it was in 2022 when you announced that DYDX was going to move to an app chain in Cosmos. And at the time, that was a really big deal because was, you were going to be the first big project or really project in general that went from Ethereum to Cosmos. And you even went on Bankless. And I think the title of their podcast was like, is DYDX abandoning Ethereum? So quite dramatic, right? Um, do you think, one, I'm curious, just during that process, what was the hardest challenge of actually doing that migration? And do you think you're going to see other applications try this that find product market fit similar to DOIDX? So I'll take the latter part of the question first. I do think that will be the case more and more over time. Again, like I was saying before, I don't think app chains are a perfect fit right now for everything that you could build. Like if I were building an AMM, if I were building something like friend tech or NFTs, I would not build my own app chain. And what we're doing is pretty specific. So I think we'll see more of that over time, though. I think a good example of that is what Rune, the founder of MakerDAO, I think was posting about a couple of weeks ago, his vision for 
potentially something like Maker building their own chain to at least control parts of their protocol. And I don't know if that's confirmed yet, but I think that's a good example of people taking it seriously as a decision you could make once you start to get that product market fit and have more resources to build more difficult things. So in terms of our decision, was it a hard one? I would say it was challenging, um, but in the most part, we did a good job, I think, realizing where the technology is going. And I think that's something that historically we've been good at at DYDX overall, um, is just making technology bets earlier than most people do. Obviously, we were one of the first in DeFi overall, some of the first building smart contracts, fast forward to layer two. We did that about a year or two before it was cool. Um, and now with our app chain migration, I'm hopeful that we'll see more players start to do that over time. But that being said, I still think we're super aligned with all the different blockchain ecosystems, still very aligned with Ethereum, um, with Solana, and especially at DYDX, we really try to stay away from tribalism in blockchains in general. Um, like We think it's all just amazing technology and we'll always build on the best possible technology for our product. So one thing I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on is there's obviously different theses within the blockchain world, especially on the more technical side, right? There's the integrated or monolithic kind of thesis where everything can kind of be on the same L1. Um, and then there's maybe the modular thesis. Um, and then there's the app chain thesis, which is part of the modular thesis, but maybe a little subtree. As a um, as, as a founder and also a technical person who, who, who has thought about this a lot and seen it evolve over the years, how, how do you think about it in terms of like, what is your mental model of, okay, like this is when an integrated chain is useful. This is when the modular stack is useful. How do you decide what's the best tool for the job, I guess? I think it just depends on the trade-offs that you're willing to make. Anybody that tells you one particular technology is objectively better than another one doesn't know what they're talking about, just in technology in general. There's always trade-offs on your building. And of course, some things can be higher or lower quality than others, but Generally, I see everything as trade-offs, and I think that's a good way to think about it from a business and technical perspective. So again, I quoted some of the things I would build on not my own blockchain, like AMMs or NFTs or something like that. And I'd say the main characterization of all of those is that they require a good amount of composability. Um, so they require tokens to be on the chain that the exchanges on. They require all the NFTs to be on that chain, so on and so forth. And for DYDX, we don't need that right now. I think that bridges will get better over time, but we're really not there yet in terms of them being optimal. Um, and I think one of the things that I've really internalized and learned over my years in crypto is that things take longer than people think they will. Obviously, there's a lot of hype around things when they come out, whether it's ICOs or NFTs or L2s or new L1s like Solana. And I think generally people are right about those theses, but they're generally wrong about how long it's going to take. I think people just think that things will go much faster than they actually do. And I think that's the main cause of a lot of this really boom and bust cycle that we see in crypto. It's kind of like, okay, Solana is invented. Let's just take that as an example. Um, people are really excited about it. It's a great new technology. It is much more scalable than Ethereum and all these other things. Is it objectively better for all use cases than Ethereum? No, definitely not. There's kind of trade-offs that have been made there, but I think it's an excellent product. People get really excited about it. And the kind of juice on all of this is that a lot of these tokens are financialized around the products themselves. So it's like people get excited, token price goes up. 
and it's a year or two later and people are like, what the hell? I thought Solana was going to be the future. There's like barely any DeFi products on it or whatever that have usage. Um, and yes, that's right. But I think it just takes longer for those ecosystems and that technology to evolve over time. And zooming out even more, that's why I always say our goal at DYDX is to become one of the biggest exchanges in crypto, but on a five to 10 year time horizon. Like we're just not going to be able to grow more than a Binance or a Coinbase of the world in the next couple of years. The technology isn't there. The network effects aren't there. We and everyone else in DeFi haven't yet perfected the product or found our killer use cases. Um, but in five to 10 years, yeah, it seems totally reasonable that something like DYDX or Uniswap or whatever else may become one of the biggest exchanges in crypto. And most of crypto trading will happen there. So I think I would just challenge everybody to kind of zoom out when they're thinking about these things. Um, and if you start looking at things on a decades long time horizon, it really seems like a lot more things are possible. And I think that's one of the things that helps us be really optimistic and forward looking at DYDX. Curious, what do you think about the L2 landscape in general as being one of the you know first apps on an L2 and also one of the few that found product market fit? Um, right now, there's some people that talk about like they'll come on the show and they think there's going to be you know a thousand plus L2s or even a million at that point. Um, how do you think that's going to play out? Because like one issue we have with it is the fragmentation of liquidity users and so forth across those. Um, and I think there's almost always a power law outcome that's going to happen. Um, yeah, I'm just curious. What do you think? So I've been excited that lots of people are using L2s now and they've really moved to the point where they are, they are production ready. I mean, I think we were a good first example of how you can build a great production quality product on an L2 and fast forward to today. And that's almost a norm, right? You see things like Frentech just launching directly on an L2 because the experience has gotten so easy or so similar, at least to Ethereum to develop on top of that. And I think that's an awesome thing for the space in general. Um, I don't think all products will fall into this category, but following up on my previous answer, I do think it makes sense to start off on some of these more general chains. It's just a lot easier to find product market fit, to iterate quickly, to have a user base that already has all the wallets and knows how to use the technology. And then once a given product becomes more mature, I think they'll probably move to their own app chain. Not all of them, but I think a lot of them will. Um, and I think that's great and that's okay. If I were to hypothesize about what does the really end state of decentralized apps look like, I would guess it's some combination of a stack where uh, you have your own chain, but it rolls back up to some other L1. Like, for example, could the DYDX chain someday incorporate either optimistic rollups or zero knowledge rollups or something and then post back to Ethereum or whatever other chain? Like, that's definitely possible. I want to caution people when they're thinking about this. That's absolutely not going to happen in the next five years, in my opinion. Um, but it's good to have an understanding of what the end state is. And I'm always just really pro people experimenting with the technology in general, right? Like, how could that possibly be a bad thing? Even if you don't agree with DYDX's decision to move over to our own app chain, the space is going to get information about how that actually goes. Can we pull it off? Is that a good model for others to follow in the future? Um, and if we're wrong, then there'll probably be some other DeFi derivatives player that wins on existing platforms. So I think we always try to be bold in our decisions at DYDX and just consider where we're at in the evolution of DeFi right now. Like, I just really don't look at other DeFi platforms as that big of competitors right now. We do pay attention to them, um, but we have a pretty dominant market share in derivatives right now. 
And that'll continue to grow. Um, but it's kind of like with over 50% of the market share in DeFi derivatives, does it make sense for us to try to get that to be 100%? Or does it make sense for us to just grow the pie 10, 100x? And that's literally growing all of DeFi into the point where it's comparative volume, potentially more volume in the future to centralized exchanges. So that's really what I think about as the goal, um, rather than competing with any of the shorter term competitors, even though you know we pay attention to them and it's really good to have competition. But if, again, if you look at things on that time scale, you're like, oh, like who cares about our L2 platform that's doing a billion dollars a day of trading volume? Finance is doing 50 to 100 billion. We have nothing. Um, and that's kind of a strange thing to say, maybe as the leader of this platform, that is one of the few things I agree that has found some measure of product market fit in DeFi, um, to be willing to throw away, at least from a technology perspective, what we've done before and take big bets on what the future of the technology will be, even if that hasn't been a proven path so far. I think that's pretty unique about DYDX and something I feel good about. Quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Jito. Jito is the number one liquid staking provider in Solana. You probably already know about Jito because they're a leading MEV client, and now they're the fastest growing liquid staking provider in Solana with over 2 million souls staked. So you take your soul, you stake it with Jito, you immediately get liquidity with their liquid staking token, Jito Soul, and then you take Jito Soul, and you can start earning yields in DeFi today while at the same time earning staking rewards powered by MEV. Three reasons that I use Jito. One, it's simple. You take your soul, you stake it, you get Jito Soul back all in three clicks. Two, not only is it simple, but most importantly, it's secure. The Jito protocol has seven audits. And they're one of the most respected teams in DeFi. When I'm playing around with DeFi, one of the most important things to me is security, and that's something that Jito takes seriously. Three, Jito just launched their points program. The more you contribute to the Jito protocol, the more points you get. So if you hold Jito Soul, you get points. If you take Jito Soul and play around in DeFi, you get points. They also have a referral program where, you guessed it, you can earn points. So use Jito to get immediate liquidity on your soul while earning staking rewards and DeFi yields and even points at the same time. Go check out Jito at jito.network slash staking. That's jito.network slash staking. You don't have to remember that. I'll put a link in the show notes. Use that one. And now let's get back to the show. The thing that um, L2s have going for them at the moment is that they often say they're Ethereum aligned, which to me and Mert sounds a little bit funny, but I do think it works right now because there is a lot of uh, zealotry, I guess, in the space and like for a good reason. I'm curious, once you moved to Cosmos App Chain, you did tweet later on that you did not want DIDX to be associated with the Cosmos brand, not because you don't like Cosmos, just because you want people to actually focus on the product. With that said, though, I'm curious, do you think that some of DIDX's success will be dependent on how like the Cosmos ecosystem does? I think from a technology perspective, yes, definitely. Like there's a lot of things the Cosmos core teams or other players in the Cosmos ecosystem are working on. Like how can you solve MEV in Cosmos? How can you make the chain go faster? How can we make IBC connect uh, bridging to different chains more easily? So we're all going to profit, everybody in Cosmos that is, off of this from a technology perspective. But from a branding perspective, I meant what I said in that tweet and maybe just kind of rephrase it a little bit. Um, I think that the, the brands of products in DeFi should stand on their own. Um, and you have to grow to a point where that's possible, right? Like Ethereum is always going to have a way bigger brand probably than anything, any one particular thing that's built on top of it. But like Uniswap has become a great brand in crypto. I mean, I think DYDX is, is getting there um, as at least a brand people hopefully respect in crypto. Um, and some other things can too. And I just like, honestly don't fucking care about like any of the tribalism or zealotry in crypto. And I feel good about that. I think, and I think that's a bit of counter positioning going on there too, where it's like, if everybody else is building with so much in mind about the community 
that they're building on or the broader chain and trying to align themselves with that and potentially making trade-offs that are suboptimal from a product perspective. I'm not saying that everybody is, but maybe some people are to appease the community or token holders or you know, the broader Ethereum slash Solana slash whatever community. I just don't think that's the optimal way to do it. Like we have to build great products here. And if we don't have that, if we don't have product market fit. We don't have anything in DeFi, like literally nothing. Like just learn how to build a startup. The only thing that matters is finding really strong product market fit and continuing to grow in an organic way from there. And for us, you know, building our own chain is the optimal thing. Um, I do think the brand of DYDX should stand by itself. You know, we are doing some co-branding, co-marketing with Cosmos, obviously, but we want to stay really aligned with Ethereum, with Solana, and kind of just never be divisive. I think um, that's one of the things I, I try to practice is giving a lot of respect to what's going on in all these different ecosystems. Like, I don't think I've ever said that Cosmos is objectively better than an L2 or a Solana or something like that. Um, it's just different. And there are trade-offs. And I think different trade-offs make sense for different platforms. Yeah, that makes sense. I think one thing that can be confusing maybe to some people, including me when I was first looking at DYDX, and you talk about the reasons to have your own app chain, it's all about having a better product. And one of those um, features of having a better product is decentralization. Um, but everyone looks at decentralization differently. And it seems like maybe for you and DYDX, a big part of that is not saying that immutability is everything, which I think some people would maybe conflate immutability and decentralization. Um, similar to Rune posting about doing an app chain with the SVM, one of the main benefits that he wants it for is the ability to fork. If something does go wrong and have like that sovereignty, is that kind of the, the core thesis for you as well? Or is it, yeah, how do you think about the decentralization and immutability piece? Yeah, I think there are a lot of aspects to decentralization and people don't dive deep enough to understanding all of them. Um, people talk about immutability of the chain and I think that's absolutely a good thing overall. And that's kind of like the peak of decentralization for the base level chain, at least. But when you're building something on top, especially something that's relatively complicated, like a derivatives trading platform, there's a lot more things that have to be decentralized as well. Um, I talked about some of them before. Let's just go through a couple examples, like the liquidators on the platform. Is that just one person doing it? Is it easy to run this decentralized network of liquidators? How decentralized are the Oracle prices? Are there just a few reporters like on some other... Oracle platforms, or are there, you know, tens, hundreds of them because we have our own validator network that's definitely more decentralized than what we could build um, if we were just sticking on an L2. So I think there's a lot of aspects to it. One of the other things that is the current state of L2s right now is that there's a single sequencer, um, which is effectively this one server that everything goes through as a gateway to get on the layer two. This is how DYDX works today. So we're very familiar with this. Um, but that's clearly not decentralized. Um, it's kind of like that sequencer can choose to censor any transactions at once, still has to play by the rules of the chain, like you can't steal your money. Um, but from a censorship resistance, from a just like ownership of the entire protocol perspective, being in the hands of the community, that's less decentralized. Considerations about how do you decentralize front ends. Um, so I think when people, especially on Twitter, just make these really simplistic takes on decentralization, I think it's valid and we do think about that, but there's trade-offs and there's a lot more aspects to decentralization than just literally how many nodes do you have and how immutable is the chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I 100% agree. So one of the benefits that you said for DYDX to have the ability to have an app chain is that it's a perpetuals platform, meaning that you don't have to bridge over many tokens. Instead, you really only have one base collateral asset, which is USDC. USDC is obviously a from a centralized company. Um, so it is kind of confusing in one way when you think about like, we want to be decentralized, but the only collateral asset behind all everything is USCC, which is centralized. So how do you balance that? Because 
for example, I know you tweeted out, I think yesterday, but you've been talking about this for a while, is that ideally you're not really supporting, even though it's up to the community, not you, um, any validators that are based in the U.S., but then the collateral asset is a U.S.-based asset. So like, how do you look at those two? Together? Well, it's just required from a product perspective, in my opinion. Like, If you look at the assets that derivatives traders are holding as collateral, it's not DAI. <laughs> it's USDC and it's Tether. So we could either sort of make that decision to hamstring ourselves like 10 to 100x if we only used a collateral asset like DAI or potentially some wrapped form of Bitcoin or something like that. Um, and you always have to balance these things. Like what's the amount of adoption, like influence you'll get with how decentralized are things? Yes, USDC is a centralized stablecoin, but I think they have a quite good track record of operating it in an impartial way um, and not censoring their users, not censoring applications that are using the token, that sort of thing. So I think that's something that's probably the status quo of the market right now. Will DYDX only use centralized stablecoins as collateral forever? No, probably not. Um, but again, these things take longer than people think. Um, and it's all trade-offs, right? Like I can't sit here and say this is like, both the most decentralized system in all aspects and it's like the most performance and like all this stuff. If you ever hear people saying that, like they're lying or stupid. <laughs> um, and it's just kind of like there's trade-offs all the way down. So we felt like using USDC was a really good compromise between the two. Um, yes, it's centralized, at least from an issuance perspective. Um, but at the same time, it's really open, it's transparent, and we feel like we can build a great product that users actually want to use based off of that. So we've talked a lot about just lower in the stack technical infra stuff um, and probably bored a lot of uh, uh, normal people. <laughs> and so one one thing I want to start talking about now is um, why DeFi, okay? Uh, which might seem like maybe a too general of a question, but that's given your background and kind of one of the earliest people in, in crypto and also DeFi and also your own perp exchange, I guess you probably thought a lot about this question. When people, when I'm explaining it to people, like why you should use crypto, et cetera, why it's, why it's great new, uh, uh, it enables these new cases and financial freedom or economic freedom as Coinbase says it. How do you like explain to people like why they should care about DeFi? Like why, why should they use it? So here's the most basic way I figured out so far to put it. If you could have a financial system that's based on code and software, than humans, which would you pick? Like our current financial system that's based on humans and intermediaries and as a consequence of that is very closed off. Like not that many people have access to professional financial tools. Um, and that's a result of that because there's a lot of people involved. Therefore, there's a lot of regulations. Therefore, the innovation happens slower. But in DeFi, what we're building is just based on code. And that's fundamentally different. Like I have no access to how the chain or the product operates. I can't take people's money. Um, and it's also just really makes it much more modular to be able to build in DeFi. Like look at what has already been accomplished in just the past five years of DeFi compared to decades and decades of the traditional financial industry. We have money markets, we have derivatives platforms, we have spot trading, we have like liquidity mining, like all the NFTs, like all this stuff. Um, why is that the case? Uh, like why do people keep building in crypto and DeFi? because it is this platform that is fundamentally based on code and is fundamentally open. If you want to go build on top of a DYDX or a Uniswap, great, do it. <laughs> like You don't have to ask anybody. You don't need our blessing. You don't need Uniswap's blessing. I think that really improves the rate of innovation in the space. So I think that's a, a pretty big use case there. 
Obviously, there are things like transparency, like the users being in control of the platform. It can be much more secure than centralized platforms. Those are all absolutely true and I think are good reasons to use DeFi. But, and I'll say something maybe a little bit controversial. I think the main reason why DeFi hasn't taken off to the level of centralized exchanges yet is a product question. Like there has to be products that are built based on DeFi that can only be built in DeFi. Um, and this is something I think in retrospect, DYDX has been a little bit guilty of. I don't regret doing it this way, but more or less the way we've thought about it is how can we take the centralized exchange derivatives trading experience and bring it to DeFi, give people this transparency, this is just based on code, the mutability, put the control in the hands of their, the users. And that's all awesome and that's good, but it's not enough. Like you have to come up with a fundamentally new product. Like you have to come up with NFTs or you have to come up with friend tech or your Uniswap and now anybody can create a market or be an LP. Like that is new. Um, and that fundamentally has to happen for us to find really strong product market fit. So, you know, we kind of touched on this at the beginning of the episode. I honestly think DYDX has only medium product market fit right now. Um, and I think we need to find strong product market fit in the way that we do that. And this will be something we're focusing on more in 2024 is what are the things that only we can do that only DeFi can do. People shouldn't have to care too much that it's like just DeFi and like maybe some people will care and they want transparency and security in their financial assets. I mean, everybody wants that, but like we have to make the product experience at least on par with centralized exchanges. Um, but I think people too much think about, oh, we just need to like get up to the same level as centralized exchanges and not enough about what's fundamentally new here. And it doesn't have to be better in every way. It just has to be 10x better in some way. Um, it's like literally it was impossible to add a market to an exchange before Uniswap allowed anybody on planet Earth to do that. Wow, like that's cool. That's fundamentally new. And I think that spurred a lot of innovation and new asset launches and things like you know, Pepe or ICO. So there are like those sorts of things um, are good examples of this. So yeah, I think that's the main way I would think about product market fit and where we need to go as a space overall. Um, and both are important. Like we need to continue iterating on the product side just to make it as user-friendly, as, you know, as performance, as full featured as possible. But then we also need to come up with some of these fundamentally new things. And that's what we're going to start thinking about next year. Yeah, that was actually going to be my um, next question, which we already touched on, which is that, so, you know, DeFi is, I think your earlier point was, would you rather have a system that's run on automation and code or humans? And it's like, yeah, I mean, code is going to be more reliable, consistent, secure. Um, but then the question is, how, do users actually care about that, right? Or do they just care like, I just want the price to go up or I just want to not worry about this. I'll have some FDIC insurance or something. That's all I care about, right? Um, and then the question becomes, well, okay, so can we make products that make it worth for them to actually use crypto versus not using it? And um, I find it interesting that you said, I mean, you're you're, you're basically one of the largest protocols in, in crypto in its history, and you still think you only have medium product market fit. So, you know, I, I wonder what that says about uh, some, some of the smaller uh, uh, protocols who, who think they do have it. Um, but but I, I would agree with you. And so I guess my question is maybe a, a more philosophical one. We're kind of taking this bet that over the next five to 10 years, we will find product market fit and crypto will enable these use cases that will make it worth. And that's based on kind of our vision of what blockchains enable. Um, what do you think still needs to happen to to get there, right? 
obviously that's a very hard question because you, if you knew that you would just build that yourself anyways but like what are some general things that you think need to happen to get there I think a lot of experimentation and we're fortunate that that continues to happen. Like there are tons of DeFi platforms. Like I seriously think there's 50 to 100 DeFi per platforms at this point, which is great. Like a lot of experimentation going on with different liquidity modes and stuff. Um, but again, this stuff takes time. I think one of the ways that I also think about it is really trying to understand what the fundamental unlock or the fundamental value of some new piece of technology is so that you can come up with ideas that fit that core value proposition. And I think in DeFi, the best way I've figured out to articulate it so far is that DeFi enables user-generated value. Um, and I'll define what I mean by that. Um, I think the user-generated part is a really fundamental thing that crypto enables. It's like so much easier to start your own exchange, now you can have your own token, anybody can launch an NFT collection, and it's just all of these things that have come in crypto and become popular, even Friendtech are an example of this. It's like for the first time you can financialize yourself or your Twitter following. Um, and I use this word value as an intentionally general term, um, but that value could be like a token, a fungible asset, could be some art or whatever you want to use NFTs for, could be yourself, could be something else, could be an LP pool on Uniswap. Um, and just the fundamental unlock is that these types of activities, like creating a company with stock or making art and selling it at like an art show or whatever, um, were fundamentally gated before. And now they are not gated. Um, it's like anybody can come, can build these things, can launch a token, can start their own friend tech profile. Um, and that's really fundamentally new and different. I, I think I could classify literally every single thing that's taken off in crypto so far. Uh, in this thesis of everything comes back to user-generated value. So then you kind of take that thesis, if you believe it, which I do, and look forward. Okay, what does that mean for the future? What experiments should we try that are consistent with that overall thesis? Um, just some examples of things we likely will try in the next year. And again, I think these are experiments, but experimental thinking is required to find a really, really strong product market fit. Experimental meaning you're not 100% sure that this is actually going to work. Probably you're like 25 to 50% sure, which is really high. Um, and probably most entrepreneurs are, are way less sure than that. Um, but some examples of how DYDX can incorporate this user-generated value thesis are, okay, what if we had permissionless markets on DYDX? What if for the first time in history, anybody could come to a platform and trading for any asset? Derivatives are amazing for that, right? Because you don't even need the asset to exist on chain. Um, can create liquidity pools for that asset. Like, you know, the market now exists, the liquidity around that asset now exists. And I think just generally, that's a, a big thesis we want to test next year. A couple other theses we have more generally are social. Like one of the things that's been really interesting about the crypto markets is that it's made trading and financial assets and just finance in general, much more social and transparent, right? You see people posting about their holdings on Twitter, you go to a crypto events and they're like, oh, what tokens do you hold? All those sorts of things like that fundamentally didn't exist before. So I think it makes sense to lean into that. Um, just as an example of a trade-off that you can make here, it's kind of like DYDX and, and all of the DeFi platforms are a bit in between on the privacy side right now. Um, so there is usually not privacy tools that are integrated directly into some of these DeFi platforms, DYDX included. Um, should we lean into there should be more privacy on the chain or should we go the opposite direction and be like, yes, everything is transparent. You can see exactly how the market makers are trading. You can see exactly 
like what this address is doing, is that fundamentally better than a financial system that's closed off? No, not necessarily, but it could be 10x better for some use cases and really leaning into the things that are unique about the technology and kind of playing to the strengths of that technology rather than only trying to mitigate its weaknesses, I think are the best way to find product market fit long-term. One thing that I found interesting there is your focus on experimentation, um, especially as a market leader uh, and a team that's been around for very long. And you know, people who aren't familiar, if you've uh, been around for very long, you probably have a lot of tech debts, which maybe slows you down to some extent and you can't experiment as much, but you've kind of cultivated that. And in fact, you've literally moved entire chains. Um, which kind of is a good segue to maybe thinking about how you approach DYDX as a founder, right? As, a, as an operator and a, and a person that builds companies. Uh, you said you, you guys have about 50 people uh, as, as employees That's and, and you've been around for, for a while. So I'm, I guess I'm curious, like, um, and you're, you're actually in one of the worst, uh, 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 let's say most turbulent industries probably ever uh, in terms of regulation and, and up cycles and down cycles. How have you maintained because a 50-person company and, 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 and a big market share and still experimentation, these are all very big things that you've been able to accomplish. How have you approached building DYDX, the company, as a founder in crypto? Um, like, What is your general philosophy in, on startups? Yeah, well, I'll just talk for myself personally. And I don't think that this is the only way that it makes sense to run a company or mentality that you have to have. But this is how I think and it's, if it's valuable and great. Um, one of the biggest things that I really believe or have come to believe over the years is not being motivated by fear is extremely important, especially as a decision maker, especially as a leader. It's hard. It's hard to have 50 employees, all of whom have given you years of their lives. It's hard to have all these users that are trading a billion dollars a day. It's hard to have you know tens of millions of dollars of revenue per year and be still making big, bold decisions. And it really is innate, an innate human thing, I think, to be like, oh, I, I think this is the right thing. Like we should do this, but man, I'm worried. Like, what if we fail? What if I let all of my employees down? What if, you know, the the price of what we're trading, like what, what if our traders can't use the platform anymore? Things like that, if it's not as good. But just being able to make those really big, bold decisions, I think is important. Um, and maybe taking a step back, I think it's also really worth identifying for an entrepreneur or a leader more generally, what are your goals? There's no goals that are objectively better than other goals. It's just you really have to decide what you want to do. Do you want to go out, make some startup and it has a hundred million dollar type exits and you do great and you know, you have some good outcome for your users and your employees? Amazing. Like that's great. You should go do that. Um, do you just want to experiment with new technology? If you're curious, if you're kind of building things, you don't care about the valuation of the company as much. Amazing. Great. Like you should go do that. It's good to, and you know, if I had those motivations, I would be making different decisions. Those aren't the motivations I have. I want DeFi to be the main way that people trade in the world, period. It's like, you cannot have a bigger vision than that. And we're very far away from that. Right. And it's hard to be sitting here with about 1% of the entire trading volume in crypto is traded on DYDX. It was pretty damn good for a DeFi company. Um, but still, if you look at it through that lens, since I mentioned it before, it's like, we're not close to that goal. Um, and I'm not going to stop until we actually get there. And will we get there? Probably not. But I think, I honestly think there's probably like a 10 to 20% chance that DYDX could become one of the main ways people trade crypto today and assets more generally in the future. 
And I think that's reasonable if you start to look at things on a 10 to 20 year time horizon. I just don't think that that many people think about things on that time horizon. They're sort of like, oh, this is my first startup. Like, am I going to do this for a few years? Then am I going to go back and work at Google? Like, whatever. That's how I used to think, um, too. Um, but I think I always had these aspirations. And I feel like success can have impact on you in both positive and negative ways. I think success can actually cause you to feel more fear because you have more to lose. You know, I talked about the employees, the valuation, our investors, like whatever else. Um, or it can kind of give you more confidence to believe that you can build something bigger than you probably actually can. <laughs> you know, that's probably what we're doing here. <laughs> like we probably don't have the capacity to go and build the world's large, largest financial platform. Probably I'm not like the founder that's going to take DYDX there, but maybe. Um, and that's something that's exciting to me. And I think just having that scope of vision is rare. Um, or that scope of aspirations. And you can always say those things, but I think people can tell if you mean them or not. It's like every like VC pitch meeting, it's like, oh, sell us on the vision, you know, like, how's this going to be a $10 billion company? Like you have to have that. Um, and then everybody's like, okay, yeah, really, I just kind of want to start my own company, but here's how it could be like a $10 billion company. Um, or is that the main or kind of the only thing that you think about? Um, are you willing to, to risk it all as, and are you willing to say that publicly and to your investors and to your employees and stand up there in your all hands meeting every week and be like, guys, I think we only have a 10 to 20% chance of hitting our very high goal. That's really exciting to me. I don't know if that's going to be exciting to you. Um, but there's a lot on kind of the people leadership operational side that, that goes into that. But I think it really comes back to the founder or the kind of people that are owning and, and running the platform itself. Um, what are their goals and how do they articulate it and how true are they to themselves? Do you think one thing that's held back the experimentation in the space is just the fact that maybe we've over-indexed on DAO decision-making because DYDX is extremely lucky to have somebody like you. Um, and I think other protocols are too, like Synthetics and somebody like Kane who just came on the podcast. And you talked about DAOs are really good at making decisions when they have all the facts. They're probably better at making decisions than he is. Um, it's really hard to look around the corner. Um, you've said this a few times, but you guys had, DOIDX had over 50% of the market share in perp volume on chain, yet you made this incredible decision to say, oh, oh we're actually going to leave this tech stack and go to another one. I don't know if DAO decision-making can do that on its own. Um, I've seen you, I think, either tweet or you have a quote and you said, like, these communities need to adopt a venture mindset because that's what crypto is. Like, we have not found true product market fit. Yeah, can you maybe just expand on that idea? Absolutely. And I strongly believe that committees cannot make big, bold decisions. It's fundamentally impossible. Um, so given that, how have we chosen to build DYDX from an organizational perspective going forwards, especially now with the DYDX chain that the community and the DYDX token holders are in control of everything, more or less around how the product is operated. So I think there's a really key distinction between how the product is operated and how the product is developed. It's an open source platform. Um, and I really see our goal as being the open source developers of UIDX. And as that, we can make very big, bold decisions. It's just kind of like, okay, here's this novel way that we're going to build permissionless markets where, you know, fuck this, like we're throwing away the Cosmos chain, like we're moving back to an L2 because it's five years from now and L2s have improved to the point where that's possible. Is the committee going to be able to make that decision? Like, no. Um, but this is why I think leadership is important. And I think a great example of this is Vitalik, obviously. Does he literally have any kind of legal or ownership control over Ethereum? No, but people respect him. Um, people listen to what he has to say. It has a lot of influence. And 
you know, it's ultimately up to the, the participants of the Ethereum ecosystem, how it evolves. But, you know, he's built his leadership reputation, I would say, to a point where people generally listen to him. And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of, first of all, making really good, sensible decisions. Even when you're making big, bold decisions, explaining them very well and being like, this is X, Y, Z, exactly why we're making this decision. I think it takes being honest. It's like, oh, it will this decision absolutely 100% work? No. And I'm not going to be one of those founders that sits here and tells you that like DYDX is objectively the best thing in the world. Um, we're trying to build towards that, but there's risks involved in building something that's entrepreneurial. And if we don't take them, somebody else will. Um, and somebody else will eventually accomplish that goal of bringing DeFi to be the dominant way that crypto and potentially other assets are traded long-term. So I really think about that a lot just in terms of staying bold and what's kind of the organizational structure of the entire project um, to allow that to happen. So more specific example, we have DYDX Trading, which is my company of which I'm the CEO. Our main goal is to develop software for the DYDX protocol. There exists the foundation that launched the DYDX token. They're primarily responsible for governance and coordination. And we have different goals, right? Um, our goal at DYDX Trading is to build fundamentally new and exciting products. And their goal at, at the foundation, for example, is to facilitate open discussion in a governance forums. These are different goals. Um, and we definitely, you know, I would advocate strongly for the DYDX community and DeFi communities more generally to stop thinking so much based on fear and stop thinking so much about what you could lose, stop thinking so much about Oh, at every step of the way, like, you know, we need to have a totally fair system for all our participants. Absolutely. We want that. But really what's the most important thing here is we're building something that's really novel. It's going to be messy along the way. Um, and if we look at this on a 10 to 20 year time horizon, we can be really excited about it. So I think it's kind of like, like one of the frameworks I try to use a lot of the times is understanding something that may be suboptimal. Like for example, DAOs just cannot make good product decisions and not be like, okay, well, you know, what should the DAO, like how should we structure the DAO uh, to make the best product decisions? Like, I think that's sort of important, but I think a better way to think about it is like, okay, given that, I accept that, how can we still create innovative products? Oh, it's like we separate the developments of the product from the execution um, and the operations of said product. And therefore we can still do big, bold things and the community can decide to adopt them or not, or we can deploy them like other places if they don't want to use it. Um, and I think that mentality is a good one going forwards. And I think when you see people say things like, oh, the community is fully in charge, we're just only going to build whatever the community wants us to build. That's great. And like that can be a final state of a given DeFi product. Do all DeFi products have to end up in that state? No, I don't think so. Um, at least until they're willing to sacrifice forward innovation. Yeah, I've heard you talk about something similar with that um, DAO treasuries are like criminally underused, right? And that's another thing that there's like the stasis in DAOs that they don't want to sell any tokens because they're scared of what can happen with the price. But it's like really, if you're looking out three to five years, like you want to actually do innovation protocol. Yeah, it's like, who cares like what happens in the short term? Like who cares if your token price goes down like 50 to 75%? Yeah, it'll make it a bit harder. But really the only thing that actually matters is do you build a product that has product market fit? I'm going to repeat that. It's like literally the only thing that matters is do you have a product that has product market fit? If no, nobody cares about anything else except for that. So until you have that, like 
you should try to do a decent job of all the other stuff along the way, but nothing else matters. Yeah, just to pivot a little bit on this, because let's let's say all these different protocols or applications do find product market fit. Curious how you think about go to market. Um, DIYDX is a really strong brand. I think before you started DIYDX, you actually were building a search engine for decentralized applications, which has to do with, I have to talk about like distribution is free now that we have the internet and everything's composable. Um, but discovery can cost like everything, right? Like discovery is really hard. So how do you think about like go to market and crypto, which when we go into that, we often talk about, do you think about getting users from other chains? Like, how do you think about building that brand and owning the user touch point where they think of DYDX when they want to make a trade? Well, branding is very important, I think, especially in crypto, just because there's so many different things um, that having a really good brand. I mean, we saw this with FTX. Coinbase is a great brand, obviously. Uniswap, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, which decentralized exchange are you going to use? Uniswap or the people that forked Uniswap? Probably Uniswap, right? Um, even if the products are literally exactly the same, um, you would still choose to use this product that has a better brand around it. And that's something I've really come to realize over the past year or two. So again, that's why I answered uh, the previous question that the way I did in terms of it's important that we at DYDX like have our own brand um, and people recognize that they want to use DYDX because that's like the main thing. It's not some other random DeFi derivatives company. Um, and hopefully we've earned like that good brand over time by doing innovative things like being secure, um, hopefully the way I talk publicly and other things like that. So I think it's really important. Um, and I do think a lot about that just in terms of how do we actually build a brand. But I think that's probably the most important thing around it. Probably like a year ago or a year and a half ago, you talked about one one thing that you wanted to do at DYDX is to compete. Well, you still say this, but you want to compete against centralized exchanges, right? And like offer something better. And that doesn't mean better at everything, but you have a unique advantage. But you often talked about like horizontal integration. So not just offering perps, but I don't know, maybe going to spot and these different products. But I've heard you lately talk about, you're like, actually, this market for perps is so big, we're just going to focus here. So I'm curious, like what changed your mind there? And do you think we're going to see that across um, different applications? Because right now in like Cosmos, every single chain is going from like app specific to we're going to become generalized and just keep adding more features. So how do you think about yeah. that? So I did absolutely change my mind on that. If you would have asked me a year or two ago, what's the long-term plan for DYDX from a product perspective, I would have said something like, oh, okay, we already have most of the DeFi derivatives market, then we build out spot trading, then we build out margin trading, You know, maybe there's other lending pools or whatever else on the platform. And the reason I thought that way was because that's what I had seen work on centralized exchanges. You really just horizontally build out. You can do like everything on Binance. You can do any everything at Coinbase, and that's been their playbook. Um, but in the past year or so, I've really come to believe more strongly what I have been talking about for a little while now, which is that you have to do something fundamentally different or fundamentally new. You can't just do the same things that the previous generation of the technology had on the new version of the technology. That's a good place to start. Um, and that's still kind of where we're at generally in DeFi right now. There have been some new things, but really not that many. Like you can count them on one hand. It's like NFTs, uh, AMMs. Uh, and just LPing like pretty much any token. And I guess launching your own token are kind of the main things that have found product market fit so far in DeFi. And they're all really fundamentally new. Um, so what caused me to change my mind on that? I guess it's just a lot of, I don't know, honestly, like a lot of like personal development on my side and really trying to believe the things that I say, which I think I strongly do now and like not being motivated by fear, thinking honestly for yourself about how could we actually become one of the biggest exchanges in crypto? And to be honest, like two to three years ago, I didn't have a lot of conviction about that. I had some amount of conviction where I was kind of like, 
oh, if we build effectively the same product as centralized exchanges, but then make it decentralized and oh, it can be owned by its users, it's tra- transparent, it's secure, that's going to be enough. But I don't think that's going to be enough anymore. We have to come up with something that's fundamentally really new. Um, and I think this even extends not just to the products that you build, but also to the go-to-market strategy and the way you do growth around DeFi products more generally. Um, and we've tried this at DYDX. We've tried to run affiliate programs, paid marketing, this sort of stuff, and all the things that Binance or a centralized exchange does. You literally have hundreds or like thousands of people working on this. Like, there's no, It's not possible that we could do go-to-markets or growth better than they could if we just try to do the same things that they do. But what is unique about DeFi protocols? Oh, they can be controlled by their users through a token. That's fundamentally different. Um, and I think that is by far the biggest growth driver that DeFi platforms have seen so far is tokens, is liquidity mining, and it just is a much better mm, growth model for DeFi or something that's very unique that only DeFi can do. And just leaning into that and embracing it, like for example, um, about a year ago, I uh, unceremoniously decided to cancel all growth efforts on D- at DYDX, and I stood up there in all hands and I was like, guys, we've been working on this for two to three years now. Um, but we're done. Like we're not trying to do any more paid marketing, at least for the time being, or affiliate programs or that sort of stuff. Um, the only thing that we're going to focus on is the product and finding strong product market fit. And you know, the foundation is focused on helping to go to market around that with the DYDX token. So that's just something new and different. And I think that the more of those things that you can find that are fundamentally new and different, um, the better when you're building on a new technology. Well said. All right, so let's uh, get a bit more uh, uh, pointed. Yeah, let's do let's do some rapid fire, um, and then feel free to stop me or or Garrett. Feel free to jump in anytime with any questions. All right, so you just talked about personal development. What is the number one thing you do for personal development? The number one thing I did, and I was very fortunate around this, is start working with a coach. Um, so I work with this guy, Matt Boshari who's coached to Naval and like Brian and a lot of the really good Silicon Valley people. I was initially really skeptical about this because I had historically not been into personal developments or anything like that at all. It did really, really change my mentality um, and a lot of the things that I've done around that. I don't know, I'm not going to say anything super unique beyond the standard like tech bro lifestyle or whatever. Um, but I think some of that stuff does actually work and just generally thinking about what the goals are. Like the first meeting I had with Matt, he was like, I, I kind of went into it and I was like, okay, we have all these problems at the company. Let's like talk about them. Um, how do I like hire a COO or whatever? And the first thing he says, like, I don't care about any of that. The only thing I care about is that you are not motivated by fear. And I was like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I have all these problems at the company right now. Like, how is that going to help me at all? Um, but a year later, in retrospect, I think that that mentality change that I've had is permeated throughout everything in the company and hopefully the way we communicate externally too. Um, and I think it matters a lot. So I think coaching can help. Like, it's like nothing, nothing novel, honestly. It's like therapy. There's like meditation, all this sort of stuff, being going to the gym more than zero times. Like all that stuff I think is helpful. Like people are, are saying that stuff for a reason. Um, but really it just comes down to you and what you're motivated by. What does everybody get wrong about DeFi? Hmm. Yeah, I think people are not innovative enough in DeFi. Um, I'd like to see there be more experimentation rather than the like, hey, we're building Uniswap on 
like an avalanche, avalanche or whatever. Um, like, cool, you can do that. Um, and it's like, that's fine, fine. I'm not digging anybody who's doing that. But it's kind of like, what are the goals here? And how much are you furthering the space by doing that? Are you building something fundamentally new? Or are you building kind of a copycat that you can iterate on over time? So I think that's a big thing. Um, my other big thing, and I touched on this before, is just there's too much tribalism in DeFi and crypto more generally. Um, like I just don't care if you're like a Solana person or you're like an Ethereum person or whatever. We're all crypto people. Um, and I promise you, like the best thing for all of us is that crypto succeeds overall. So like, why are you being so short-term focused that you are, for, for some people at least, um, sort of saying, no, you shouldn't be building these things. Like this isn't the right way to build it. This isn't the best chain to build on. Like it's good for you. <laughs> like that experimentation is really valuable, even if you only care about Solana or Ethereum or whatever else. Um, and I think one of the really cool things about DeFi is that it's so transparent. Like you can literally see everything everybody is doing. Like I can go look at right now all of my competitors' metrics to the date, um, like in real time, see what's working. Like people are writing about exactly how they're building their software. And that's awesome. Like you think I don't look at that? Like I actually don't even need to do all of the experimentation internally at DYDX. I can just let all these other DeFi derivatives protocols experiment, innovate. And then for the things that start working or the things that you know, I believe or we believe are valuable, then we'll just do it. And maybe we'll make it a little bit better along the way. Um, but I think that level of innovation is really important and is unique to crypto. And we should just lean more into that. Yeah, Antonio, on that, I've heard you say that you really just want to copy the best features from other people. Not like, obviously, you have DYDX, but when you're looking to build it out, you're like, okay, what are people already doing? And you did mention even Solana once, I think, with like proof of history and their leader selection mm -hmm. um, and how that can lead to lower latency. What is out there today that you're looking at that you're like, that's something I want to copy? Um, this isn't obviously related to DYDX right now, but I really like friend tech. I don't know if that, that's not a super hot take right now, but I think it is something that's fundamentally new and is pushing forward this thesis of social trading and kind of the, you know, financialization of social things like yourself or your Twitter profile. So I'm pretty excited about that. I do want to experiment, like I was saying, with more social stuff on DYDX um, like what if you could just have your profile on DYDX and it shows all your holdings, at least the ones you want to share. You could see your favorite Twitter profiles, like what assets they're holding. It's easy to buy the same ones, that sort of stuff. So I think social and crypto will be big. Um, and then there's just a lot of smaller, like DeFi specific things, but there's really not that much stuff I pay attention to. And I think it, for me at least has been valuable to only pay attention to a smaller number of things, but go deeper and really be like, why is Uniswap the leader in DeFi right now? Like what fundamentally do they have or did they do and that users care about that we can adopt um, rather than being like, okay, for the 50th uh, spot AMM, like what are they doing that's maybe slightly different? So yeah, I think that helps a lot. It's helpful to just be and hang out on Twitter. Um, and I, I do try to try all of the new products, at least the ones I think are legit. Um, and just having that amount of context and that mentality is a good one, I think, going forwards. If you weren't working on DYDX, what would you be working on? It's a tough thing to ask. Like, I have said things on Twitter and to the team before where, like, even if DYDX totally fails and we run out of money and, you know, I lose everybody's jobs at DYDX and whatever else. I'm pretty sure I would honestly still just build something in DeFi and derivatives if it were in the next five years. Um, not that that's the best product of all time, but it's what I know. And I think I'm good at it. And even if I had fewer resources, I still think 
I have a good chance to be able to win the market and whether it's with DYDX or some other platform afterwards. That being said, I have like absolutely no plans to leave DYDX. Like I love it. This is the perfect job for me. Um, I think just having so much ownership of the company itself, having so much responsibility because of that is something I found really valuable for myself. Um, and today, if you had asked me like a year or two ago, I probably would have said something like, yeah, definitely DYDX is the place for me for the next five years. And we'll see what happens after that. Could there be something else? And now I think just with the maturation of the space, like it's here to stay. There are these fundamental things about crypto that are going to come true. Like there's just no way I see it in my mind that DeFi is not going to play a bigger role in the world um, in an order of magnitude's bigger role in the world than it does today. And that excites me. Is it the only thing that matters? No. Like I'm sure AI will probably do as much, if not more than crypto overall. I just don't know that much about it. Um, and that's not the place I'm going to be able to be as effective as possible. So I think, you know, I'm very sold on crypto for the long term. I think especially that's a rarity amongst founders um, in crypto for these days. There are a couple other people that this is not exhaustive that I really respect around this, but like somebody like Hayden um, or like Devin from OpenSea or whoever else. Um, like they're going to be there for the long term. Like, can you imagine like Hayden, like coming and being like, no, I'm kind of done with crypto. I'm more interested in AI now. Like, I can't really imagine that at least in the next five to 10 years. And I think that's kind of a rarity to be able to find in people in this industry that has gone down 95% in the past few years. What do you fear the most about DeFi? Hmm. I guess I fear in DeFi that... We never really figure out as a space how to differentiate between like the scams and the legit projects. Like, I just don't really think it's sustainable. It's a sustainable long-term equilibrium to have so many things that are scammy come up, so many things that lose people's money um, to not enable users to differentiate between the high quality products and the low quality products. And whether that's solved through some amount of sensible, hopefully, regulation, or that's solved through just general standards and transparency in the space. I don't know what the answer is there, but like it just doesn't really seem super sustainable for the long term. Um, that would probably be my biggest one. Um, obviously, regulatory is a consideration, but I think people, not that it's not important, it is very important, but I think people overblow regulatory way too much. Um, and that's absolutely not to say that we don't care about it or pay attention to it. I think we do basically more than anybody else in DeFi at DYDX, just the intersection of derivatives and DeFi is, is a hot topic, obviously. Like derivatives are the most high, highly regulated form of financial instruments uh, for good reason. So we do pay a lot of attention to it. Um, but I just don't think it's as important as people make it out to be. Um, I had this tweet a month or two ago where I basically said, I well, we've chosen to do this at DYDX, obviously, but I was kind of advising other people to adopt the mentality of not serving U.S. customers for the time being or whatever other trade-offs they have to make from a legal perspective to allow them to innovate more freely. Um, and then sometime later, find a way to re-enter the U.S. market, whether that's through policy change or working with regulators to figure out, okay, look, regulators, right? now, it's literally impossible for a smart contract to register as like a clearinghouse or whatever, if you're the CFTC, um, it's literally impossible, right? So like, what do you want here? Like, do you just want to fundamentally ban DeFi? Like maybe some people want that. Or is there a way that we could actually come up with better regulations around the things that matter 
in DeFi. Um, like there should be certain transparency standards around the smart contracts. There should be uh, audit reports for all of them, like that sort of stuff. At least once you get to a certain scale, like absolutely before that, I think that'd be great. But like a lot of the financial regulation just doesn't really make sense right now. So um, it just wasn't written for a, a possible future where all the finance could be written by code, could be run by code um, rather than intermediary. So there's a lot to do on the regulatory side still. Um, I say that and just the general market risk of people just like we never really lose this uh, moniker in crypto and DeFi more specifically of it's like the Wild West and it's like fucking you could lose all your money tomorrow and all this stuff. Um, like that can't be the end case. So how do we get to a place where it's not? That's not to say we should shut down all of the crazy stuff that's happening. I absolutely think that innovation should still happen somewhere. It should just be more transparent about, okay, here are the risks that you're taking on if you're YOLOing into a million percent APY, like yield farming token. Um, and that's just fundamentally different than like a compound or Aave or Uniswap or DYDX. What would you say is the most overrated concept in crypto? Hmm. Most overrated concept in crypto. I mean, I talked about this a little bit before, so I don't need to harp on it too much more, but I think just the amount of tribalism that happens in crypto and uh, yeah, maybe overrated. Here's one more specific kind of addendum to that. I think people way too much think about blockchains as distribution rather than technology and product. So you hear people a lot of times saying, um, oh, uh, we have we're Uniswap. We've cornered the Ethereum markets for swaps. What if we deployed on Polygon and own that market? For, and that's that's more go to market, right? It's more about like, oh, we can increase our user base by X percent by going to this new chain. Or what if we go to Solana now and Uniswap is on Solana? Probably they'll take a good amount of market share. Um, and I think that's true, but I think it's also very short sighted in terms of like, how can we get the next twenty percent, next like fifty percent of users, whatever, by just adding one, two, three more chains. 20%, 50%, that does not get you to like 10x, like 100x outcomes in the future. So again, it comes down to what are your goals. Um, and I think at least at this stage of the market, it makes sense to more, not exclusively, but I, if I'm in charge, I would say, or advising people, I would say people should generally focus on fewer protocol or fewer protocols um, or fewer blockchains, um, but make better products on that specific chain. It's like Kane's whole theory. He was talking yeah. about, he, he made these numbers out, but he was saying there's like, you know, 50 users on Solana, 100 on Ethereum, and there's 2 million on, or 2, you know, 2 million on Binance. Like maybe we should try to get some of those users in before like going to different chains. So it's a good answer. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I tweet about this a lot. It's, it's uh, absolutely true, I think. Um, okay, last question. What is your number one piece of advice you would give to a startup founder? Hmm. I think maybe maybe it's two but like know your goals and know yourself like you have to know what you want um you have to know if you want to build a 10 billion dollar company if you would just want to start something that's smaller all goals are reasonable and just honestly think for yourself what do you literally want like why are you doing this and that will cause a lot of the decisions you make downstream of that to be much more clear and consistent with that i think people generally don't really know why they're starting a company, which is totally fine. Like, I didn't really know perfectly what I wanted when I started a company, but I think I figured it out faster than most people do. 
Um, and they're sort of just like, oh, you know, I'm starting a company. I'm supposed to go talk to VCs. I'm supposed to hire some people. I'm supposed to find product market fit, whatever. Yes, you are supposed to do those things, but why are you doing it? And I think if you understand that, it's really valuable. The second thing is know yourself. Um, and you are not going to be able to be better than better at everything than everybody else, right? You're maybe 10x better than people at certain things, and you may be worse at, than the average person on other things. That's fine. It actually makes a lot more sense to focus on your strengths than try to mitigate your weaknesses. Like, say, I'm, I don't know, whatever, like just kind of awkward and a terrible communicator and stuff. Should I just like hammer it into myself to stand up there in front of people at all these conferences and make my case and try to get better? You could do that and that would probably improve you. But maybe you're kind of the classic, like nerdy, just like amazing software developer type. Like you should just lean into that rather than trying to get better at the things that you're worse at. So it's like knowing yourself and being like honest with yourself and then being like, okay, given I am the way that I am or my founding team is the way to, the way it is, what should we do? I need to find a product that makes sense for me. I need to articulate things in a way that's consistent with what I actually believe because that's going to be way more charismatic. I need to find people that can complement some of the weaknesses I have. I need to be like, look, okay, like we could potentially build this product. We could be this company, but that's not me. Like that's not how I'm going to win. So just think about like, what do you want? Who are you? And like, given those two things, what should you do? And that's a very abstract thought, I think, but I think it's really important and people much too, much too much focus on the, the more granular things. Like here's how you make a pitch deck and here's how you go on like, attract your first employee, like that's important, but everything like has to start with you and who you are and what you want to do. Otherwise you're always just, it's going to be like school. You're like, oh, I'm doing these things because I like have to do it. And the people that are doing it because they love to do it and they're amazing at it are going to be you every time. Um, so it's just like, find those things that you love to do and that you're amazing at and only do those things and think about that a lot. Yeah. Fantastic answer. Tony, thanks so much for coming on today. It's a lot of fun. We talked about a lot of things that crypto and DeFi can maybe do differently in experimentation and how that can, you know, get us to where we want to go in the next five to 10 years. I think more than anything, we need to attract more people like you. Like that's, that's really what we need is we need, the, we need the talent and the leaders in the space. Um, extremely excited for DYDX V4 launching. I don't know. We don't know, but it's this month. I'm going to guess in the next week or two. So, um, you may not say this yourself, but this is a big, Proof point, not only for app chains, but also the Cosmos ecosystem and also just, you know, porting over to a new, new technology and seeing how it works. So I'm really excited about that. And Antonio, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me and the good questions. Sweet. All right. We'll see you next time. 